What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to an all new, brand new episode of Unknown Serial Killers. Thank you guys once again for always and continuing to join me each and every week. You guys are just such the best. Um, if you guys miss any of the old episodes in any of the seasons, please go do that. Go, please go back and listen to them because you do not want to miss any of them because they are just that great. Of course, viewers' discretion is advised because we are talking about murder, violence, and possible drug use. But of course, murder and violence, because this is why we're here, this is why it's called Unknown Serial Killer, so we can talk about some serial killing. This week, we are going international. We are moving to the UK to talk about William McDonald. So just let's get right into it. McDonald was born Allen Ginsberg in Liverpool, England on June 17, 1924. In 1943, at the age of 19, McDonald was enlisted into the army and transferred to Lancashire. One night, McDonald was raped in an air raid shelter by one of his corporals. The experience traumatized him and a thought preyed on his mind for the rest of his life. Discharged from the army in 1947, he was diagnosed of having schizophrenia and committed for several months to a mental asylum where daily he was treated with electroconvulsive therapy. McDonald changed his name, then migrated from England to Canada in 1949 and then to Australia in 1955. Shortly after his arrival, he was arrested and charged for touching a detective's penis in a public toilet. For this, he was placed on a two-year good behavior bond. After moving to Dollarat, McDonald then moved to Sydney in 1961 as a construction worker. He found accommodation in East Sydney where he became well-known in the parks and public toilets that were meeting places for homosexual men due to the criminalization of same-sex sexual activities. So, we're starting off really strong here. Um, so I've read and did research and, you know, read before I did all of this. And this makes perfect sense of why he kind of did what he did to just men. But I'm not going to do any spoiler alerts or anything like that. We're just going to keep going. and I'm just going to tell you and then you'll, the wheels will turn and you'll figure it out. The murders began in Brisbane in 1961. McDonald befriended a 63-year-old man named Amos Hugh Hurst outside the Roma Street Railroad Station. After a long drinking session at one of the local pubs, they went back to Hurst's apartment where they consumed more alcohol. When Hurst became intoxicated, McDonald began to strangle him. Hurst was so intoxicated that he did not realize what was happening and eventually began to hemorrhage. Blood poured from his mouth and onto McDonald's hands. McDonald then punched Hearst in the face, killing him. McDonald then placed Hearst into his bed, took off his trousers and shoes, and pulled the sheets up over Hearst's head, tucked them in all sides. McDonald then waited there a while, then turned off the lights and left the apartment. Five days later, he found Hearst's name in a newspaper obituary column. It said Hearst had died accidentally. McDonald, surprised, had been in terror 
when the police arrested him for murder, even though he was certain that no one had seen him leave Hearst's room. On June 4th, 1961, police were summoned to the Sydney Domain Baths. A man's new corpse has been found savagely stabbed over 30 times and with the genitalia completely severed from his body. Alfred Reginald Greenfield became the second victim claimed by the killer, soon to be dubbed the Mutilator. Greenfield, 41, had been sitting on a park bench in Green Park, just across the road from St. Vincent's Hospital and Danglehurst. McDonald offered Greenfield a drink and lured him to the nearby domain baths on the pretext of providing more alcohol. McDonald waited until Greenfield fell asleep, then removed his knife from its sheath and stabbed him approximately 30 times. The ferocity of the first blow severed the arteries in Greenfield's neck. McDonald then pulled down Greenfield's trousers and underwear, severed his genitals, put them in a plastic bag, and threw them into the Sydney Harbor. Now, I don't know if you guys have realized what's going on, but I'm pretty sure you have. Um, With him being in the military and him being raped by someone up in corporal, you see where his hatred for men lies and why he cuts off their genitals. Not saying that it's right, but this man is pretty much traumatized at this point. So we're just going to keep going. Similar to the second victim, Ernest William Cobbin, a 37-year-old man, possibly 36 or 37 years old, was stabbed repeatedly and mutilated. His body was found in a public toilet at Moore Park. On that night, McDonald was walking down South Dowling Street where he met Coben. McDonald lured his victim to Moore Park and drank beer with him in a public toilet. Just before the attack, McDonald put on his plastic raincoat. Cobbin was sitting on his toilet seat when McDonald, using an uppercut motion, struck Corbin in the neck with a knife, severing his jugular vein. Blood splattered all over McDonald's arm, face, and his plastic raincoat. Cobbin tried to defend himself by raising his arms. McDonald continued to stab his victim multiple times, covering the toilet cubicle with blood. McDonald then severed the victim's genitals, placed them into a plastic bag along with his knife, and departed the scene. On the way home, McDonald washed the blood off his face and hands. On March 31, 1962, in suburban Darlinghurst, New South Wales, the mortal wounded, the mortally wounded Frank Gladstone McLean was found by a man walking with his wife and young child. He was the victim of an unfinished assault committed by McDonald. The man found McLean still breathing but bleeding heavily and went to get police. On this day, McDonald brought a knife from the from a sports store in Sydney. That night, McDonald left the Oxford Hotel in Danglehurst and allowed McLean down. Birkin Street past the local police station. So he he followed him. He followed him down that street. McDonald initiated a conversation with McLean and suggested they have a drinking session around the corner in Burke Lane. As they entered Burke Lane, McDonald plunged his knife into McLean's throat. McLean tried to fight off the attack, but he was too intoxicated to do so. He was then stabbed again in the face and punched, forcing, forcing him off balance. The assault was interrupted by a young family approaching. McDonald hid himself on hearing the voices and the sound of a baby's cry. 
Once the man and his family had left, McDonald returned to the barely alive McLean, pulling him further into the lane and stabbed him again. A total of six stabs wounds were inflicted. He then pulled down McLean's trousers, sliced off his genitals, and put them in a plastic bag, which he took home and disposed of the next day. The police at one stage thought the killer could have been a deranged surgeon. The manner in which McLean's genitals were removed seemed to be done by someone with years of surgical experience. Doctors at one stage found themselves under investigation. So he was doing this job so clean that he was putting doctors under fire. Because he was doing this so great, they're thinking, okay, the doctors are doing this. We need to go and investigate them ASAP. That's that's really crazy, but he's pretty good. He could have been a surgeon if he didn't do all of this. After being dismissed from his job at the local post office where he had been hired as a letter sorter under the assumed name of Alan Edward Brennan, McDonald went into business for himself. He purchased a mixed business store on Burwood Road in Concord, again under the assumed name of Brennan. Here, he intended to sell sandwiches and small goods, living in rooms above the store. He actually lived there for about a week after paying the purchase deposit. On the night of Saturday, June 6, 1962, McDonald went to a wine saloon in Pitt Street, Sydney, where he met 37-year-old Patrick Joseph Hackett, a thief in Derlick who had just recently been released from prison. They went back to McDonald's new residence where they continued to drink alcohol. After a short period, Hackett fell asleep on the floor. McDonald then got out a, a boning knife that he used and that he used. He stabbed Hackett in the neck, the blow passing straight through. After the first blow, Hackett woke up and tried to shield himself, pushing the knife back into McDonald's other hand and cutting it severely. McDonald then unleashed a re Nude attack, eventually striking the knife into Hackett's heart, killing him instantly. He continued to stab his victim until he had to stop for a breath. Hackett's blood was splattered all over the walls and floor. The knife had been blunt. McDonald was unable to sever his victim's genitals and fell asleep. When he awoke the following morning, he found himself lying next to the victim's body, covered in sticky, drying blood. The pools of blood had soaked through the floorboards and almost onto the counter. In his, down, in his shop downstairs. He cleaned himself and went to the hospital to have the wound in his hand stitched. He told the doctor that he had cut himself in the shop. After cleaning up the blood, McDonald dragged Hackett's corpse underneath his shop. Believing the police would soon come looking for his victim, he fled to Brisbane. Three weeks later, neighbors noticed a putrid smell coming from the shop and called the health department. When in turn called the police, on November 20th, 1962, police discovered the rotten corpse, which was too badly decomposed to be identified. An autopsy determined that the body of someone in their 40s, which told with records of missing shop owner Brennan McDonald's alias. In late July, the police had still no connection between the case and the three previous mutilating killings and had profiled the killer as an operator operating in Sydney's inner eastern suburbs, which were many miles distant from Concord. The Sydney police obtained an identical picture of McDonald, which was circulated to every newspaper in the nation. McDonald had taken a job 
of the Melbourne Railroads being hired as David Allen. Even though he tried to disguise himself by dyeing his hair and growing a mustache, he was instantly recognized by the workmates. Melbourne police arrested him as he collected his pay for that week. Under questioning, McDonald readily admitted to the killings, blaming them on an irresistible urge to kill. He claimed he was the victim of rape as a teenager and had to disempower the victims chosen at random. A man with schizophrenia, McDonald said that he heard voices in his head telling him that his victims were the corporal who raped him as a teenager. He was charged with four counts of murder and committing the trial on August 15, 1963. The trial began in September 63 and was one of the nation's most sensational. McDonald pleaded not guilty on the grounds of insanity and testified in great detail to the gruesome murders. He told the court how blood had sprayed over his overcoat, his raincoat as he castrated his victims, put their private parts in their plastic bag, and took them home. He even told the court what he did with the genitals once he got home. Some jurors fainted and had to be taken from the court. The jurors told to ignore overwhelming evidence for insanity and handed down a guilty verdict. Before passing sentence, Justice McLean said that this was the most barbaric case of murder and total disregard for human life that he had came before him in his many years on the bench. McDonald showed no signs of remorse and made it quite clear that if he were free, he would go on killing. He was sentenced to five consecutive life sentences with the strong recommendation that he never be released. So they think. McDonald was imprisoned at Long Bay Hospital, a division of Long Bay Correctional Century, but was soon certified as insane and transferred to a secure mental hospital. In the prison system, McDonald was known simply as Bill. He had been in prison for so long that he became institutionalized, the longest continuous serving inmate in the North South Wales prison system. He stated in 2003, I have no desire to go and live on the outside. I wouldn't last five minutes. At the age of 90, McDonald died from a gastrointestinal blockage on May 12, 2015, while he was still in prison. At the time of his death, McDonald was the oldest and longest serving prisoner in the custody in New South Wales. And there you have it. There is the story of William McDonald. It was definitely a roller coaster, but it was good to the very end. I hope you guys enjoyed this unknown serial killer tale. Please join me next week as we un as we uncover another unknown serial killer. Like I tell you guys, please nice please be nice to people because you never know who they kill. See you guys next week.